Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast, where we bring awareness to sustainable health in the business hustle space. Natural Health Podcast is perfect for the high-performing, business-minded individuals who want to work with their biochemistry to achieve success and optimal health. It's Friday, which means it's time for friends sharing facts about health, business, and overall success. In today's episode, we welcome back Dr. Aaron Hartman. Dr. Hartman helps patients identify leverage points in key areas of their lives and health that harness their body's remarkable power to heal and begin living the vibrant life that they deserve. He has come become the go-to doctor for difficult heart cases in Central Virginia. As a clinician researcher, Dr. Hartman has been involved with over 60 clinical studies. He's the founder of the Virginia Research Center and currently serving as an assistant clinical professor for family medicine at the VCU School of Medicine. And in 2016, he founded Richmond Integrative and Functional Medicine. And he has also been featured on a natural health podcast on episode 309, where we spoke about half of all chronic diseases are directly related to eating processed foods. Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Natural Health yeah. Podcast, Aaron. It's great to be back. And we've already had a, a great conversation talking about headaches and migraines. And I'm, you know, I love, love talking about because it it's something I personally suffered with from childhood. And there's so many things you can do about it. So I'm excited just to share things with um, your community. I'm, I'm so excited and I thought, let's just get straight into it. If you don't want to get to know you a little bit more, they can listen to the past episode that you've released where we spoke a little bit about what you do, why you do it and so forth. But today, we're just going to get straight into it. Let's talk about migraines, food, supplement and lifestyle hacks to literally say goodbye to our migraines. So give us a little bit about more about your experience with migraines. Well, migraines, when you think about migraines, one of the things is like there many times people don't realize their regular headache is a type of migraine. And so there's two migraine centers. One is the V2, which is a part of your trigeminal nerve, which is like right in your sinuses. So a lot of people's sinus headaches, it's actually a migraine variant. I get these headaches when the weather changes, the temperature changes. Is it really allergy or is it actually your migraine? You know, the second center is your C2, which is in the back of your head. It's like, you know, the neck pain radiates here. So personally, when I get headaches, I know which ones are severe or not. If mine start with an aura, like a visual thing, I know it's a severe one. It's probably originating in my V2. If it's more of a neck pain in the back here, it's, it tends to be less severe personally. And so, so that's the first thing. That's where the migraines start. But ultimately, everybody can get a migraine if you, if you hit their head hard enough, right? Everybody can get a headache if you hit them hard enough, right? And so based on your, your, your headache threshold, some people actually, did you know, some people don't get headaches. It's yeah, it's kind of frustrating to be honest with you. And so they have a really high, <laughs> I know, right? Really high threshold. And so one of the ways of knowing that, if you drink um, something really cold, really fast, and you get that brain freeze, then you're someone who can get headaches, right? There are people actually don't get headaches <laughs> when they do that. There's people actually don't get headaches when they do that, right? And there's I can people imagine people just testing and being like, "Oh, I'm going to get a cold drink and try it." <laughs> I mean, I guess if you did it long enough and hard enough, you could you know, freeze your esophagus or whatever. But point thing is everybody's got a different threshold. And if you have a very low threshold, then food, environment, chemicals, all these things might be triggers for you. And that's where kind of being a feel for your, your headaches, how sensitive are you hormonal changes? You know, if you're a female going menstrual migraines, um, if you're, um, you know, sleep stress, all these kind of things can play into it. Figuring out what that threshold is, bumping it up and figuring out if there's triggers that are lowering it, nutrient deficiencies and a whole host of things. And so that's part of the uh, the, the journey with someone figuring out what their triggers are, um, what can lower, um, um, increase that threshold and then giving them um, options to, based on the kind of headaches they have. 
That's so interesting that you've spoken about pain threshold and we're going to talk about that a bit later on. But are you able to give us like a, maybe a one-on-one of migraines? You kind of told us two starting points for most people with the V2 and the C2 of migraines. But what what are actual migraines? What di- What's the difference between okay. a headache and a migraine and how does someone know? Well, a headache actually is this um, neuroinflammatory process in your brain. There's this thing called the spreading depression of layout. So initially starts as vasoconstriction. So these vessels constrict and that's the aura phase. That's the, your vision's off, hearing's off, the flashing lights, weird smells. And so it's basically decreased blood flow to a certain part of your brain. And if you watch this spreading depression of layout, it actually is almost like a wave that goes across your brain. And so the second phase of the, of the migraine is when you get vasodilation and increased blood flow. And that's when all of a sudden now you feel the pulsing headache, right? The pain nerves around those vessels are activated as the vessels open. And now you actually feel your pulse and your temple, you feel in your head. And so the thing about the migraine, if you catch it on the front end, on the vasoconstriction end, you can actually prevent the full, full-blown inflammation. Okay. The other thing about migraines is because it's this process, if you inappropriately treat it, like with narcotics, we talked about um, Demerol, Meperidine. I'm not sure what the, the Australian um, um, equivalent of that is, but it's a narcotic. It's like putting a blanket over this burning neuroinflammation. Well, if you pull the blanket off while the inflammation is still going on, you can have a flare of your migraines. And that's what happens a lot of times. People use the wrong kind of medications to suppress this. They don't address the neural inflammation. They have these flares and they can almost spiral out of control. That's also where some of the medications get tricky because you can actually have rebound headaches. So you take lots of Tylenol, ibuprofen, Furosip, Butabotol, all these typical things for your headache every other week. Now it's every week. Now it's three times a week. And you actually develop withdrawal headaches. And so you actually create a different monster because you're covering the inflammation and not addressing it. And those ones, are it's unfortunate because those ones, you literally just have to pull the blanket off, burn through it. But that's also, we mentioned steroids like um, um, dem- um, mineralocort, I'm sorry, steroids like um, Demerol, which is dexamethasone, how you can use those to quell that. And I'll use that sometimes acutely when I'm getting people off of drugs to get them to a better place, but it's ultimately a neuroinflammatory condition related to vasoconstriction and dilation that results in the pounding, miserable headache. And then because of its relationship with the vagal nerve, people get nausea, GI upset. Kids actually, interestingly enough, can have abdominal migraines. Their migraines don't start in their head, they start in their gut. So they get stomach pain, nausea, and it's actually a kidney migraine, maybe colic is some version of this. You know, Of course, we can't ask you know, two month olds, you know, any other symptoms, but it's really interesting. There's also a correlation between your gut and your brain with migraines as well. So, you know, if you've got IBS, SIBO, gut issues, food sensitivities, really bad leaky gut, you know, I, I've learned this in the last couple of weeks, I've learned this new term actually from the 1950s called auto intoxication, which is this old um, German c- concept of basically what we'd call leaky gut, um, um, postprandial neurotoxemia, you eat foods and the toxins get across. They knew about in the fifties in, in Vienna. So a lot of things we're going to talk about today actually are older concepts, but I'm actually learning how to reinterpret them with some of the newer science. So 
Yeah, I love that you explained that to us because a lot of people get confused with the initial migraines, the constriction and the vasodilation. So like, which one is it? And it's like, it's both and yeah. depends what's happening. Are you able to give us, what is the usual treatment? Like if someone has a migraine, they go to the doctor, what's the usual treatment that they would receive? I mean, I know you mentioned a few of them, but what would be actually the steps that they would go through? Well, typically the, the standard of care model would be, you know, how often is your headache? If you have a, you know, four to six times a, a month, Usually you just get a, a, um, abortifacient or it's something that aborts the migraine. And that's your triptan, your, your Imitrex, your Maxalt, your Rizotriptan, those triptans. And so, and they work really well for the aborting of those acute, if you catch it on the front, front part of things, if you have, maybe your job is you have, you know, you have something where you can't miss any days out because, you know, four miserable days, we're not working is not acceptable to you. Then you go to preventive stuff. If you have more than those four to six acute headaches a month, then you go to prevention. That's where you use a whole host of things, certain seizure medications like Topamax, certain blood pressure medications like calcium channel blockers, propranolol, um, tricyclic antidepressants like amitriptyline, certain antidepressants like Cymbalta. But if you hear what I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying antidepressants, blood pressure medications, seizure medications, like what's the, what's, the, it, what's the correlation? And the correlation is a lot of these medications actually are neural anti-inflammatories that affect the vasculature. So you'll take these every day to, to prevent the headaches and then take the, the, abortif- the, the, the aborting kind of medications if you get the flare. And that's the standard way to do it. There's a whole host of medications you can do. And that, that works actually pretty well for 50 plus percent of people, but it doesn't address that whole neuroinflammation, um, the um, sensitivities, the migraine threshold I was talking about. Those things don't address that. Mm-hmm. I love that you explained that to us. So you you mentioned the GI tract, right? As one of the major migraine centers of the body. Diet and food triggers are huge. Are you able to go a little bit more into detail? I know that you said we knew that in 1950, if not even before when it wasn't even written. So yeah. what is the link between you've mentioned so you've mentioned about if someone goes to the doctors, they get a bunch of medications and it's like off you go. But what is the link with the GI tract and food and migraines? Well, your vagal nerve, which is one of your cranial nerves, uh, it touches all of your internal organs, your heart, your gut, your spleen, liver. Mostly it's most of the attachments are your small bowel and your colon. And 90% of the communication of this vagal nerve is from your gut to your brain, not your brain to your gut. So what we've learned in the last 10 years is actually Parkinson's starts in your gut. 20 years before diagnosis, Alzheimer's wow. starts in your gut 10 to 20 years before diagnosis. Um, so, so, so it makes sense of something like migraines, maybe a significant portion of those are this gut and flame gut brain inflammatory process. And that's the case actually with certain foods, you know, the, the real, the big ones we know we have a lot of data on are gluten, for example, there's a whole host of data on gluten induced migraines. There's actually a thing called gluten induced cerebellar ataxia where kids eat bread and get dizzy. So a lot of your sensory kids that have like sensory tactile issues, they kind of crave their, their dairy and their, and their, and their gluten. Well, it actually, and they see kind of often actually it's, it's bread induced dizziness. Right. And so there's certain specific things like that, but then there's also food chemicals. There's red dyes. Um, MSG is like, is a classic, classic neuroinflammatory. I mean, monosodium glutamate is a neurotoxicant. It's a food enhancer, a flavor enhancer. That's in all your a lot of foods and a lot of Chinese foods and other things. And certain coffee manufacturers actually put on their coffee as a flavor enhancer. Wow. 
in their yeah, coffee. Exactly. I've seen it everywhere, but I haven't seen it in coffee before. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's a particular brand. Well, Starbucks actually, I guess I can say that. <laughs> Starbucks yeah. actually uses it as a flavor enhancer. And so personally now, now I can't drink it because it gives me reflux, you know, oh my gosh. Um, for other reasons. So it's really, that's, I just kind of source all my own stuff, you know, for this reason, but, but that's where food comes into play. It's like, how do you tweet, tweet, how do you ferret out, you know, um, MSG versus gluten versus even dairy for some people. And that's where like elimination diets, that's where we're doing some kind of, you know, removal of inflammatory foods. Some people in nightshades, potatoes, mm-hmm. tomatoes, eggplant. Um, you know, and it's interesting. Um, you may, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but I didn't realize ashwagandha was a nice shade. And one of my patients actually educated me about that because it was, it made her feel terrible. And she researched it and she's like, oh, it's actually a nightshade. And I was like, what? Oh man. So it's really interesting. Even things like that, you think you're helping people if they have a nightshade issue, um, could potentially, um, trigger migraines. Yeah, it's a deep, deep hole. And even going back to MSG, MSG has, I did a podcast, it has so many different names. Like they don't, they don't put MSG anymore. It's yeast extract. It's uh, a number. It doesn't even say MSG flavor enhancer. Like it doesn't say any, most of the things that you look at now does not say MSG. And the reason is because it got such a bad name. Well, natural flavor, at least in the United States, natural flavoring means nothing. You can have, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a legal term. That means that tastes natural, but it's 60, 80 plus chemicals. And I assume you might have a little MSG in there as well. Mm. That's absolutely crazy. And there's things like tyramine, nitrates, um, histamines even. Um, Histamines, I guess, would be a huge one because I know that people who have migraines or headaches, one of the questions I ask them is, do you eat leftover food? Because they cook. They're like, I'm so healthy. I cook my own food. Um, and I'm like, okay, so what do you do that put it in the fridge and then it increases the histamine and then it's when they get their headaches, even though they're eating something healthy. Well, it's interesting you say that because one of the things when there's a lot of, you, you develop cocktails and like in my clinic, if you come in and I, I individualize your cocktail for your acute migraine and it might be a whole host of things, but many patients actually do well with an, shots of antihistamines like Finnegan or Benadryl. And it's kind of interesting because one of the over-the-counter cocktails I'll do for it home for people if they're doing medications is like Benadryl with like aspirin, ibuprofen and caffeine and a little Tylenol. If you feel your headache coming on to, to break it, but the antihistamines actually, to your point, you know, histamine foods can cause it. Antihistamines are actually part of some of the acute treatments for severe migraines. Yeah. So there's a different way to handle it. I guess it depends on the individual what's happening. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the pain threshold that you mentioned. So what is it and how are able to, people are able to, I guess, lower their pain and migraine threshold? Or is that even possible? Well, I mean, it is. Well, there, there are, well, for example, I think about the pain threshold just like a seizure threshold. I can, if I sleep deprive you for about two weeks, well, actually, well, this is one of the ways we diagnose seizures, right? Is overnight EEG sleep deprived. You don't sleep overnight, your seizure threshold is lowered, and you can pick up people with brainwave activity like seizures. So, Disturbed sleep, you know, sleep apnea is something that a lot of people have mild sleep apnea. Now you know, there's, there's a thing I call skinny people's sleep apnea. And it's basically your athletic people who are double jointed, hypermobile, have narrow airway passages, their faces a little elongated, you know, double jointed, et cetera, but they have this upper airway resistance syndrome. So they might have mild sleep apnea, but that can increase your cortisol and lower your headache threshold. Chronic stress, chronic um, elevated cortisol levels, increased leaky gut, right? And I mentioned that whole auto-intoxication, which involves around your 
your gut bacteria. Now the chronic stress is increasing toxins leaking across your gut, right? And so there's a whole host of things like that. Um, even the environment, one of the things um, with seizures as well as neurological issues, pandas, pans, um, is actually mold in the environment. You know, it's really interesting, you know, in Australia, you think Australia, there's no mold there. Da, da. Actually, it's a huge, you know, in my, in my group, my shoemaker group, there's, there's a whole, con, there's a whole Australian contingency. And I remember looking at one of the houses and it was literally the inside was just, it's like someone took spackle everywhere, but it was mold. And it's like, and you think about, you know, again, I'm, I've never been to Australia, but evidently it's a big thing there as well. And having that in your home can lower your headache threshold. Yeah. The more North you go, the more mold there is, but it's interesting because when you go to renting, um, a lot of a lot of places have mold in the bathrooms, and I'm like, this is not normal. Why? Oh, don't worry, we'll just paint over it. And I'm like, no, we don't just paint over mold. <laughs> but you're right. So you know, individuals that are listening now, they're like, okay, cool. Mold can trigger my migraines. Food can trigger my migraines. Stress, sleep deprivation, any type of inflammation, which is kind of what you're hitting at. Is that right? Correct. Absolutely. I mean, again, I said, this is a kind of neural inflammation. You know, it's really interesting. The idea of inflammation, it's like, okay, you have inflammation in your joints. I call that rheumatoid arthritis. If it's in your, your thyroid, I call it Hashimoto's. Um, if it's in your gut, I call it inflammatory bowel disease. You know, you know, every, our genes are different. Our environments are different, but inflammation is a common thread across aging. As you age, you get more inflamed. You know, things like a sed rate and ESR, you know, if you're, you know, a female, you, in your age range, you want the SED rate less than 15 or so. A SED rate of 40 or 50 when you're 60 is considered normal, right? And so it's like, as we age, we get more inflamed. And so how do you live a lifestyle, stress-wise, diet-wise, supplement-wise, that helps mitigate that natural tendency to get more inflamed as you get older? Yeah, 100%. I mean, they've even, uh, I've read a bit of a, I think it was a study or in a book, and it said that people after they go to the dentist and they get their teeth taken out for like a week or two weeks, they're depressed. And it's like, that's inflammation in, a, in it, that's whole body inflammation, but it's also inflammation in the brain. They get depressed after it, after a surgery. Well, well the, the mouth is actually a source. So like you may have someone with crazy diabetes, dementia, um, chronic headaches, and they got perioral disease bleeding gums, they make lots of tartar. And there's so many things you can do to actually lower bacteria counts in your mouth by alkalinizing your, your secretions in your mouth, by um, using oral pulling to, to basically dissolve the, the bacterial membranes. You know, spirochetes, you know, Lyme disease, um, syphilis or spirochetes. Um, Porphyrmonas gingivalis is a spirochete that we all have in our mouth. That's what causes gingivitis. And so, you know, to your point, you know, dental extractions but I've actually had patients with small abscesses, get them addressed, and all of a sudden their fibro flares, their, their chronic mold illness flares, their all immune issue flares because this pocketed infection has been opened. And so your mouth can be a big source for inflammation in and of itself. Mm -hmm. What what are your, you mentioned C2 causing migraines. Okay. So like neck, back. So a lot of yeah. people go see an osteo, a chiropractor. What are your thoughts on that? Um. It, it, you have to individualize it. So some people can have um, migraines flared from tight muscles, from pinched nerves in the back of their neck. So definitely if you have like arthritis in your neck or you've got some malalignment, um, adjustments can definitely be helpful. Crane, um, craniosacral, I don't know if they have craniosacral. And, yes, okay, they yeah. Do. yeah, so it's interesting how the, the lymphatic drainage of your brain, you have lymph, 
lymphatic range in the brain. Actually, University of Virginia, actually, that's where they discovered it several years ago, the, the glial lymphatics, you know. And, um, you know, some people, particularly people that are hypermobile, have poor um, lymphatic drainage of their brain. So cranial sacral maneuvers can actually help improve the drainage of these. And ultimately, the glial lymphatic is important for removing toxins from your brain, especially when you're in deep sleep, restorative sleep, which is in the association with sleep and brain inflammation detoxification. If you don't get that deep sleep, you don't have as much movement of the glial lymphatics detoxifying your brain. And so that's where cranial sacral can help with that as well. Um, and I actually have some patients that works really nicely for some of their like, it's typically my hypermobile patients with myofascial issues and a whole host of things. Acupuncture as well mm. can be another thing. You know, my, my acupuncturist, she's like, oh, when I have a headache, I put my needles here and it goes away. I'm like, I'm not putting needles <laughs> in my face, but awesome for you. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I've heard that too. So in regards to nutrients um, or minerals or vitamins or anything, what can an individual be mainly deficient in for them to be able to maybe suffer a migraine? Is there such a thing like when you hit a deficiency of something, it could cause a migraine or maybe not indirectly? Um, have you come across that? Absolutely. Well, there's there's two two major things to think about. Fatty acids, you know, if you have the abnormal fatty acids, you know, omega-3s and 6s, phosphatidylcholine, these are the things that actually make the insulation or lining of your of your neurons and ultimately compose most of your brain mass. So high doses of omega-3s, for example, have a huge anti-inflammatory effect. But there's also then magnesium. You know, it was really interesting. Um, you know, the, in, in America, 40% of Americans are magnesium deficient by blood test. Now, you got to remember that the minority, a small fraction of magnesium is in your blood. It's in tissues. So there's actually a salivary magnesium test. You can do it. looks at tissue levels. 80% of Americans are magnesium deficient when you do the salivary test. So, and, and, and so low grade magnesium deficiency can increase your, your incidence of headaches and migraines. It actually lowers your headache threshold. And it's kind of interesting in 2000, um, in 1996, when I started my training, on my medical training um a long time ago i know <laughs> but um but we were actually were using iv magnesium in the er to treat people coming in with with acute headaches high blood pressure you know you're in preterm labor and your your uterus is contracting iv magnesium sulfate you know it's cheap easy to access easy to use pretty safe works great so magnesium is one of those, those key nutrients omega-3s there's a whole host of things riboflavin thymine other b vitamins um things you can do at night, like melatonin, et cetera, a whole host of things. Certain herbs can be helpful as well. Um, but the two, I would say that if I was to pick, and you know, if you ask me this question a month from now, I might, I might give you another two, but I'd pick you know, your, your fats, especially your omega-3s and magnesium as a, the two key nutrients. And then of course, vitamin D, I don't want to forget vitamin D. It's amazing how many people with chronic pain issues mm. you know, have low D. And D actually helps modulate um, neural sensitivity. Like, do your nerves pick up pain if you have low-grade inflammation? You know, so, again, you know, vitamin D. How, how, let me ask you a question. Yeah. How common is vitamin D deficiency in Australia? How common is vitamin D deficiency in Australia? Because all we do, the average, average Australian is at home, jumps into their car or public transport, goes to work in an office, eats lunch in their office, then jumps back in the car and comes home. Okay. And most of the individuals, I guess, I know I'm talking, spend outside maybe on the weekends. Okay, so it's so it's probably pretty common there as well, I guess. Then. But yeah, most Australians, um, actually a year and a half ago, two, two years ago, um, the general practitioners stopped doing um, vitamin D as an annual 
test because they said, oh, you're deficient. It doesn't matter. You're mo- okay, most okay. likely deficient. That's okay. my understanding. I would like to look at maybe some research and figure out why. It may have to do with genes, the VDR gene. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe most individuals carry that um, from our ancestors. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but I, that would be my guess. Okay. Yeah. Well, the thing is like inflammation can drive vitamin D deficiency as well. There's mm-hmm. some interesting data on high inflammation. Your body actually chews up your vitamin D just like it chews up vitamin C. Your smokers need four times more vitamin C, for example, to maintain their C levels. Um, diabetics, people with poor oral hygiene have low D levels. So it's just, it's, you know, poor diet, not an outside, outside time and low levels of inflammation, you know? Um, yeah. As far as causes of low D, and then you have the genes like VDR, the TAC, the fork, there's mutations where it's like you have adequate serum levels, but, but it's not actually getting, it's not actually working. And then you have the whole 125 versus 25. Some people might have low 25 vitamin D, but if you check the 125, it's actually high, which means their body is actually shifting it towards the active form because of other things. And so that's where that vitamin D is, it's a little complicated sometimes. Yeah, it is 100%. And what are your thoughts on vitamin D supplementations? Because I've read some new things coming out saying that it might not be as beneficial. And some people are saying, no, 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 you need to take it. I mean, look, in the wall, safe sun exposure, like you say, always 100%. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think it's like, I just go back to the calcium story, right? You know, 15 years ago, every woman should take calcium, blah, 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 blah. Oops, we just gave a lot of women corn calcifications in their coronary arteries by just giving them gobs of calcium. Why is that? Because they consume the calcium. And for calcium to do what it needs to do, go to bones or wherever, you need vitamin D, you need vitamin K2, MK7, right? And so it's not just getting enough D for calcium to go where it needs to go. You also need your, your, your vitamin K. Well, you also need magnesium, phosphorus. And so I think, like, I think many nutrients are the same story, like vitamin D. You know, taking it with your other fat soluble vitamins. There's great, there's great data looking at calcification in your carotid arteries. Vitamin K2 actually helps get calcium out of your carotid arteries. You know, so I think it, they taking fat soluble vitamins together, which is one of the reasons why when I do D, I'll do it with A and E and K as well. I keep them balanced. You know, um, but ultimately I'll, I'll I'll treat people to the level. So if your D is low, I'm going to give you D. Um, some people worry about getting too much K2 and getting clotting issues because there's a concern with excess vitamin K, but it appears that K2 is not something that does that, but I still try not to give more than 200 to 300 micrograms of K2 if I'm giving someone a D. So that means if I, if they're doing like 10,000 units a day of D, which I have a lot of people doing that, you know, then I might do the first 5,000 with K2 and the next 5,000 without. So. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So yeah, we were talking about, um, you know, different minerals, vitamins, and so forth. So I've read a lot of studies, like you said, Robert Fallon, B2, magnesium, even CoQ10 for migraines, um, and even fever few herbs and all the stuff that you mentioned, omega-3 and all these other things. And I guess you've answered the question in regards to what minerals and vitamins would you believe vital? So I'm guessing from pulling out what you said, it would be the omega-3, it will be the magnesium, and it will be the vitamin D, the key three ones today. <laughs> yeah, today, exactly. But I think it's it's also, you know, if I was to pick one thing to do well, to be honest with you, that's made a big dish and um, help with some of my complicated patients has been their diet. You know, figuring out food triggers, whether chemicals in their foods. Um, and then my more complicated patients, it usually is like something, maybe they have chronic Lyme they don't know about, or Mont Epstein-Barr, or maybe they've got molds in their environment. And they don't know that they have you know, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which is, you know, the mold 
biotoxin illness. So it's just kind of walking through like the basic migraines, more complicated and just figuring out the different tiers and what you can do for people. And then in the integrative and functional medicine world, we have tons of tools. You know, it's not just the medications, right? And so that's what I kind of love about migraines because I feel like we've got so many cool tools, even like loaded things like low dose naltrexone. You know, if you're familiar with that, you know, I was talking with um, the local spine surgeon here in town um, last week and they're like, it was about a mutual patient with some pain issues. And I was like, well, you know, he's an older guy, he's nineties and you don't want to give him anything crazy. And I was like, well, we could always try some um, Lotus naltrexone. And the guy was like, I've read about that. Do you actually use that at all? I'm like, uh, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So let, let me go through an example of an individual. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about hemiplegic migraines. So stroke-like migraines, right? Um can you explain to us what these are and how these are different to actual migraines? So I've got an individual, there's an individual that started having these hemiplegic migraines with aura um, and stroke-like symptoms on the one side of the body at the age of 12, um, family history of migraines from the mother's side. Um, and this individual has ended up in hospital a number of times throughout her life, once, twice a year. So from your experience, what are your thoughts on these? I mean, it's just, it's, you know, I, I, my personal opinion is, you know, it's a spectrum. You've got people who have croc size infections and neck pain that are migraines. You've got the typical people with a migraine, you know, once or twice a year. You've got like me that I used to have terrible migraines in college until I realized that it was basically pasta and raisin brains, like basically gluten was, and you got the people who literally every time there's a weather change, they have these crazy headaches. And then on top of that, you've got the people who have like that constriction phase I was telling you about is so severe. You actually lose blood flow to one of your spinal tracts, part of your body. You lose your vision, you know, um, you have a, st a stroke like migraine. And so those people always initially get a workup for a stroke. They get the, you know, the carotid ultrasounds, MRI, MRA, brain MRI, all that kind of stuff to make sure it's not um, um, like a stroke or some weird anatomical thing. Um, and then they get the diagnosis of the stroke-like migraine. Um, but I think those people, it's, it's more of an issue of severity. So if you have a young 12-year-old, did it start, they, had they just started having their cycles, for example? You know, it's one of the things to think about. Did it start when they're going through menopause? You know, is there a hormonal component to this? Because, I mean, hormones affect vasoconstriction, you know, 12-year-olds, you know, is there anything else going on? I think about, to be honest with you, at that age, because people are supposed to be pretty healthy. I'm, looking, I'm thinking diet, I'm thinking gut, and I'm thinking, is there anything in the environment like mold? You know, you start going down those pathways. You you obviously rule out all the bad stuff that can permanently disable someone, and then you kind of go back to the usual stuff. But it tends to be when people have these more severe forms, there's something more severe going on, you know, and it might be you have to treat these five things, you know. Yeah. I've even seen kids with pediatric sleep apnea. They've got allergies, big adenoids, tonsils. They snore a little bit and they actually have kitty sleep apnea that's actually affecting their, their headache threshold. So there's all kinds of things you got, you got to look at. Um, and again, our, we have a big toolkit that we can look at. So, yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you did mention, um, I spoke about Epsom virus and viruses and viral infections. How would, how would they impact individuals with migraines? I mean, if you look at croc infection, well, take a step back, you know, the average person, and I'm, you know, has about 10 active viral infections in their body at any given time. <laughs> it's like the, the normal thing our immune system is supposed to do is ignore the stuff and it passes on. What can happen with something like Epstein-Barr is it gets us a smoldering phase. You can't clear it. You can't suppress it. 
and you get activation of your innate and your and, and you can't lead it to your adaptive immune system. So that's where Epstein Barr can lead. There's the association with Croc EBV and, and S Hashimoto's, you know, a whole host of things, Croc fatigue syndrome. And so, <coughs> sorry, that's so you can get this low grade neural inflammation. And then, and that's where the also like genes are so interesting. Like one person can have, you know, Croc Epstein Barr and they've got MS. One's got Hashimoto's, one's got chronic fatigue, and someone else has like just chronically swollen lymph nodes. The same thing, but in a different person, different environment. And that's where just kind of like unwinding that a little bit. But the, the EBV just causes low grade inflammation and just is chronically stimulating your immune system. And so, in some people, that's going to be cause chronic pain syndromes, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, other neuroinflammatory disorders. And you know, migraine. How many people with migraines have chronic fatigue and fibro and um, push crash phenomena and hypersensitivity to their body and weird, um, weird um, pains moving around their body? And the answer is a lot. And then you know, all of a sudden they have neural inflammation. You know, a hundred percent. So, in addition to my understanding, one of the key things to support when if individuals have migraines or headaches, especially with the studies with the CoQ10, would be mitochondrial function. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on the effects of mitochondrial function on these headaches and migraines? I mean, mitochondrial, the more and more we learn, mm -hmm. probably mitochondrial function or dysfunction is at the base of pretty much all chronic diseases, including cancer. Actually, uncoupling of your electron transport chain is actually what gets your cells to switch from a typical metabolism to this um um, anaerobic metabolism, which is what happens with cancer cells. And it's an uncoupling of their mitochondria. Um, most chronic health issues, we're actually finding out that actually mitochondrial dysfunction, the mitochondria, one of the things about the mitochondria that are cool is that they help if that cell's healthy and you have that massive, cool, healthy mitochondria, they split and you actually get more healthy mitochondria. If you have two sick mitochondria, they'll actually fuse together and make a healthy one. But when you get this thing called cell senescence, Mm. which is where your cells get sucked. They can't turn over, you know, autophagy, the idea that your cells are turning over, um, they get senescent, they get stuck. This is a, a proliferative inflammatory condition. And we're finding out that in the, the, my understanding, it started in the mold world where this is one of the major things with chronic fatigue and fibro and all the neurological issues with mold. We're actually realizing it's related with cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's and a whole host of things. So, you know, mitochondria are kind of, maybe they're at the base of, I mean, not just life, but everything else, right? And so that's where all these nutrients we're mentioning, omega-3s, fats, magnesium, B vitamins, CoQ10. Wait a second. These are all part of complex one, two, three, four, and the electron transport chain that make energy. And the one thing that's interesting is that your body, on average, um, creates about eight times your body weight every day in ATP. Just think about that, you know? I weigh about 173 pounds. So I'm making 173 times eight times my body weight in ATP every day. If the efficiency on that is reduced 10%, I won't die, but it's going to affect all my body systems. It's almost like thyroid hormone. Your thyroid is this minuscule little thing, right? You know, you take your, your 50 micrograms, which is almost nothing, but if it's off, it messes up everything. Yeah, hundred percent. I loved how you explained the mitochondria. And like you said, all those those supplements or those minerals that we spoke about, they assist our mitochondria to function. So it's kind of like, and all those toxins like mold, food toxins, 
they affect our mitochondria, right? So it's yeah. it's a very interesting way to look at it. Um, the thing that I wanted to ask you is, I probably don't know how to pronounce this, um, palmitolithalamine, P, we call it P, P-E-A, right? Yeah. P-E-A. So it's used here in Australia. Um, it got um, approved, I think, about two years ago. Is it approved as a, as a drug or as a supplement? As a supplement. It's been okay. approved in Australia as a supplement. Um, and a lot of naturopaths um, use it to assist people with their pain. Um, and then it's been also looked into putting that under your tongue for individuals who are about to get a migraine. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, the, the, um, that is another, it's another supplement that affects um, nerve function. It's associated with um, neural function, um, neurotransmitter production and function. You know, you look at PA, you look at PMT, there's a whole host of these things, you know. Um, we don't use it a lot here in the United States. Um, it's just kind of hard to source well. So if you've got a good source of it, that's a big thing. But it's it's one more thing just that recognizes that this is a there's a biochemical process and you can kind of stick your little things in there and that can work for some people. And it's just one more tool in the toolkit. It's not just like magnesium is not mm-hmm. the answer for everybody. PEA won't be the answer for everybody. You do, there are some concerns with, with purity with PEA if you if with the sourcing, which I think is the bigger issue. It's almost kind of like chlorella you know, and spirulina, mm. great things, but actually blue-green algae are one of the things that can cause chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And if you're making your blue-green algae in a bad environment, you can actually give people toxins. And so like where I get my chlorella from is this place in Japan on this mountain that's really cold. So it minimizes that. So just like when you're sourcing something like that, you just got to make sure you're getting it from a good place. And I think that's, you know, that'd be my take home with that particular one is uh, getting it from a good, a good source, reliable source. And that, you know, if, if you're recommending have, I usually will track down like the certificate of analysis and just say, can I verify this product? You know, if a collagen producer won't give me their certificate of analysis that they don't have lead in their collagen, right. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to recommend it to patients, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that's got to do for also like uh, the B2, the CoQ10, the magnesium that we spoke about, uh, the omega-3, what source that is. On the omega-3, I forgot to ask you, uh, fish oil versus algae. And I guess on this topic about, you know, toxicity and so forth, what are your thoughts? Conceptually, algal oral should be fine. The problem is it's mostly, and krill oral as well, but they're mostly solvent extracted. And so it's one of those things, one, how they extracting it, you know, the second thing is dosing. How do you get enough EPA and DHA? You know, you look at you're taking about, about 10 tablets. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. You're taking a ton, you know? So if you look at the literature, let's say you're a rheumatoid patient, I'm mm. like, well, the studies look at 5,000 milligrams a day of your omega threes can help with, you know, that it showed like actually this in this one study was almost as effective as methotrexate for rheumatoid patients. How many algal oral capsules is that? Like probably 30, I mean, a ton. And so I think the whole bottle. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things as well with some of those things like algal and krill is like the way they actually get it, particularly krill, for example, it's really terrible in the environment. It's like the way it gets really bad. And it's really, it's not as sustainable as like a fish or small fish product. I feel like you can, I can actually control the quality a little better on that. And just dosing, when you look at studies for omega threes, the doses are pretty high, you know? And like, so maybe some people say, you know, well, this is a more bioavailable omega-3 and you get more in the cell. I'm like, well, that's cool. I just, let me, give me some, let me give some studies so I can look at that and verify that. So, um, but I feel like I've got some, I've been, again, sourcing, I've been able to source pretty good quality forms of omega-3, but, but omega-3s are tricky because they're, they're unstable. 
And so if they get heated, they go rancid, they break down. Um, a lot of omega-3s are actually heat extracted. You know, I, I prefer things that are CO2 extraction or molecular distillation to make sure it's clean. Um, there is it put in a glass, brown glass bottle, right? If I buy nice olive oil, it comes in a brown glass bottle. Why? Because the UV light breaks down my omega-3. And broken down omega-3s become rancid orals, which are toxic. And so it's, kind of, so it's kind of like something that's supposed to be healthy. And that's where it gets tricky, right? Something that's supposed to be healthy now is not. Yeah. And so and that's a lot of people gonna... fall into that trap, don't they? Because mm. um, a lot of people come in, they're like, I'm, I'm eating so healthy. I'm doing such healthy things. Mm. And, and then I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry to break this to you. But <laughs> this, I know you spent $50 a bottle on this. How about going to this one? What, like you said, that is in a brown bottle that's glass. And also where you store it. Are you storing it above where you're cooking, where the heat comes? Yeah, it's so many things, isn't it? Why well, one of my patients actually just to that point, like came in this past week and was like, you recommended this, you know, supplement to me. Um, but I've found this other one that's special for hormones for women because women hormone thing, it's, you know, it's, it sells. Right. And that was a nice, beautiful, clear plastic bottle. And the capsules had these really cool little pellets in there. I'm like, well, the stuff I recommend to you, you see this glass brown bottle, <laughs> you see this clear, like, and I explained to them how, like, basically this is protecting your product. This is not like, and they're, and you can see the light bulb go on. They're like, oh, but this looked really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really great website. And so they, they got it. Yeah. It's so interesting. There's so many things we take in consideration. So before we, I guess, wrap up and talk about a few things that we can do for individuals who may have migraines, just to wrap it up. Um, there's two things. Um, we spoke a little bit about immune system. So with the viruses and things like that, let's talk a little bit about sleep and migraines, right? So I see individuals who come to see me who have headaches or migraines. Their circadian rhythm is off track totally. They're not sleeping at night. They don't get tired until 1, 2 a.m. And it's 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 been like that for most of their life. And, and then they have to get up for work at 7 or 8 because that's oh. what, you know, our world doesn't favor the night hours, unfortunately, for them. <laughs> but what, what would be, how would sleep and headaches and migraines or even neural inflammation be affected? Well, I mean, the whole thing with sleep, that's when your brain does most of its detoxification. It's when your hormones reset. It's when your cortisol comes down. It's when your melatonin, melatonin is a huge brain anti-inflammatory. It's when those levels go up. And so there's so much stuff associated with that. I mean, I mentioned before, you know, literally sleep deprivation lowers your seizure threshold. And this is one study and, and you can only do this, you know, with military recruits, but they had military recruits, a bunch of guys back in the day, and they sleep deprived them for just for two weeks to see what happened. What happened about two weeks. They basically all went mad basically. And sleep is super, super important, you know? And so it's one, I mean, they got their sanity back. It was just a slight, slight craziness, so nothing, <laughs> nothing long-term. Right. But um, the point being is that sleep is so critical for everything. It's like, I have this thing I call my triangle of health. It's like, what are the three things everybody's got to do well? You know, that's your gut, which food, stress and sleep. And it's like, and if you look at blue zones, places where they do these basic things well, they, you know, there's one, there's one area, actually a Polynesian area in the Pacific, 80% of the males smoke, no increased risk for heart disease or cancer. They eat what they can catch or kill, close family communities, small little, I think it's like 3000 people on the island. And it's like literally lifestyle is so powerful that can abate smoking. The French paradigm, they drink wine, they smoke, you know, risk for heart disease is, is lower than Americans. Why is that? Because of these real food and the closeness of society and just these like stress reduction. So these things, stress, sleep, your gut health and sleep is so, 
so critical. And so many people have issues with it. And so many people have sleep apnea, you know? So if you can't get your sleep straight, it's going to be hard to control brain inflammation, gut inflammation, autoimmune diseases, hormone issues. I mean, I mean, what, what does sleep not affect? Mm, mm. And talking about lifestyle, things like that, exercise, like the research that I've read on uh, migraines and exercise has been extraordinary. Um, And I'm guessing that's got to do, you know, with, with, with oxygen going around with mitochondria, increasing the mitochondria in your body with exercise. Um, Have you seen anything uh, or read anything with exercise? Well, I I think exercise is also, it's, it's like one of the best anti-anxiety medications. It burns off excess cortisol. It burns mm-hmm. off excess norepinephrine, noradrenaline, adrenaline. Um, it helps prepare for sleep that night. You know, think about kids, right? The kids, the day the kids run around a lot, they sleep amazing that night, right? Me too, me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like on the, inside all day long, the bad days, those nights, they're up late. Why? Like you need that physical activity for your body to work the right way. So I think, you know, physical activity is one of those things that like it helps with sleep. It helps with stress. It's those things are all going to play into headaches. Yeah. Wow. We've just covered so much in such a short period of time. And I guess the audience got a little bit of a detail about migraines and what they can do and so forth. But I thought let's wrap it up. Let's talk about, I know everyone's case is individual and this is not medical advice. And, you know, you should talk to your healthcare professional before you take anything on. So three things acutely that someone can do and three things prevention wise that individual can do, what would be some things that comes to your mind? Well, acutely, if you're at home and not at the hospital would be taking an oral anti-inflammatory of some sort, an oral antihistamine of some sort and caffeine, you know, caffeine, it's like caffeine's in pretty much every migraine thing, butabatol, you know, et cetera, Advil migraine, et cetera. And so taking those and significant doses can, can break that, initial uh, migraine. I've kind of, you know, moved on personally. I'll actually take a high dose of magnesium now. So I'll take about seven or 800 milligrams of magnesium, which means I'll have a loose bowel movement the next day, but it does a nice job. And I'll do that with aspirin, you know, um, like a bare aspirin, which is actually, it's cop rate is from the 1950s. So it's got four ingredients. You know, it's funny in America, Whole Foods does not have ibuprofen because it has all these fake stuff in it. They have aspirin because (laughs) they they have bare aspirin because bare aspirin they got like, you know, four things in it. Um, so that's like, you know, you're, you're out, if you're in, if you're in a doctor's office, you can do shots of Benadryl shots of Finnegan with Tordal. Some of my more difficult patients have actually done dexamethasone or steroid shots with, um, with Benadryl or, um, Tordal. Um, I definitely do not do any opioids for headaches because all you do is create a rebound headaches. The problem with these medications, if you use them more than three to four times a week, you can create rebound headaches. And a lot of people with chronic headaches, they're rebound. Mm. So if you're taking, if you're taking a, an acute medicine like that more than three or four times a week, you might have rebound headaches. So that's something to keep in mind with your, your audience. The other thing is that with prevention, I mean, <clears throat> your diet is huge. Like I've had so many people doing a, just a basic elimination diet, you know, removing nightshades, removing histamine foods, just doing that as a starter. Um, sleep, you got to work on your sleep long-term. And then the question is, is there anything in your environment that's triggering this? Is there mold in your environment? Do you have other things going on? Chemicals. You know, it's really interesting. We, at our home, we, you know, we, we did our house and we don't have any um, laundry detergents and fabric softeners. And like, it's interesting. Someone comes to my house and I can smell them as they come in the door from the fabric softeners. Me too. (laughs) It's just crazy. Yeah. It's it's just like, 
it's like, oh my gosh, like, don't you all smell that? And like, oh, smell what? I'm like, oh my. And like, and it lingers. We had a young lady stay at our house um, uh, two weeks ago, just like overnight. Um, and um, the smell of the um, fabric softener was in our downstairs. She was upstairs for like almost a week later. Wow. So think chemicals, clean stuff. The average female in America puts over 200 chemicals in her body every day before she leaves the house. So what are your personal hygiene products? And I think that's where a lot of women, not only do they just mess up your hormones, they're called neuroendocrine disruptors, but also can be neuroactivating or stimulating. So I think those are some basic things to think about. Yeah, 100%. There's so many things like check out your diet, check out your sleep, check out the toxins around you. Yeah. Um, and if you clean you got toxins around you. If you put on makeup, you got toxins yeah. around you. If you wash your hair, you got toxins <laughs> around you. Literally so many things. And we didn't even touch base on like the EMFs and so forth yeah. and all those other things around us. I mean, there's so many things, but we're coming to the end of the podcast. And I really, really do appreciate your time and sharing this information because I know that you have a soft spot for migraines <laughs> and helping individuals with that. So, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the Natural Health Podcast. Is there anything else that you want to say before we let you go? Or man, I just think you know, if you have if you're dealing with migraines, really bad headaches, you know, that can crack, um, there are answers. You can get to the bottom. Of it. Just find someone you can work with that can help. If if you took notes on this and you and you wrote things down. And you take them to your provider and they have no idea what the stuff is and you need to find someone else you know um medications work for a lot of people but a lot of people they need more than just medications they need lifestyle and that's where just finding someone that can that's that's sometimes having someone who's had headaches migraines you need that because they've, they've gone through the, the the ropes and so um and again you know i've and personally as a physician i've had really good results i haven't really there's been very, very, very few patients I haven't been able to help with migraines. I know I'm in America, so it doesn't help your Australian but um, people. But like, find there, there are people out there that are really good at that. And if not, just find find a coach, find a nutritionist, find someone that can help walk you through this, some of these things. Because um, most people with migraines, there's something else. It's not a Topamax or deficiency or a dexamethasone deficiency or a, you know, Imitrex or Maxalt deficiency. There's something else triggering these. And so finding that root cause can be super Super helpful. 100%. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you for joining us on Natural Podcast. And remember, the missing link between failure and success is your health. Content and information provided here is opinion of Mahela Raguse and is for information purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. It is not intended to provide medical advice or take the place of medical advice or any current treatment you're undertaking. Consult your own medical professionals for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the Natural Health Podcast. It is advised that you consult your doctor or healthcare professional in relation to any health concerns you may be having. Mahela Raguse does not take responsibility for any health consequences which occur from a person listening, viewing, or reading this content. And in a Circumstances shall the natural podcast, Mahela Raguse, any guests or contributors to the natural podcast, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of Mahela Raguse be responsible for damages arising from the information provided on the natural podcast. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical conditions in either yourself or others. Please note if you're taking prescription, do not stop your medication or start a new protocol, including but not limited to supplements diet, lifestyle changes without consulting a doctor or healthcare professional. If you or any person has a medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider or seek 
seek other professional medical advice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something that you have read or heard on the Natural Podcast or in any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. Neither Mahayla Raguz nor the publisher of this context takes responsibility for the possible health consequences of any person or persons reading or listening or following the information in educational content.